Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Amen. We'll take your Bible and look at Hebrews chapter 1. I was, as I mentioned, about three-quarters speed this week, so probably it's going to be a quite a bit briefer message. I don't want to promise too much, but really I expect it to be. Um, thank you for your prayers. As, uh, I do struggle at points uh, with an extended period of concentration yet, uh, but the Lord is good. And as I was lying uh, and recovering in the hospital at home, I thought a lot about the Lord Jesus, and I thought I just would love to, to lift him up clearly again. It's the great theme, the great subject of all of life. I know some of you are sports fans and crazy that way, but it's not about the Steelers or the Bills or the Redskins or the Eagles or the Phillies, So I will say that was a great pitch game this week, but it's not about that. It isn't, and I've titled the message, It's All About Jesus, from beginning to end. Even your Bible, from beginning to end, from cover to cover, and uh, even the maps, <laughs> if you will. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Him. It's not about stuff. It's not about popularity. It's not about money. It's not about entertainment in this entertainment crazy day in which we live in amusement. It's not about these things. It's all about Him. It's about Him. If we could flash forward a hundred years, we would see with absolute certainty it's all about Him. It's all about Him. And in a hundred years, nobody will be here. And we will be with Him if you know Him. It's all about Him. It's not about us. It's about Him. And that's why I say in your sheet there, if you're a Christian, that is one who has been truly saved from the penalty of your sin, and we are all sinners, we're born that way. You look nice and you smell good today, but you're the bad news, born a sinner, and you sin, and so did I, and I am. If you're saved from the penalty of your sin, then your life is not about you. It's not about you, even though our world tells us us, what, tells you that you are the most important thing to you. Have it your way. Where's that? No, it isn't. Is it Burger King? Oh, it's, I thought it was McDonald's. Huh? Frank Sinatra. <laughs> no, I did it my way. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I'm on. I connected that thought. <laughs> it's not about you. It's not about you. I don't care how you want your hamburger, you know. It's not about you, not about me. We've been forgiven and cleansed and washed in his blood. It's not about you. And to think it is, is a lie from the pit. Satanic in its sense. If you know Christ the Lord as Savior, then you've been bought with the precious blood of his Lamb. You've been ransomed. That's what that means. So go down to the marketplace. Faith and I were driving. It's so nice yesterday. We went for a little drive south of York and Stumbled into Brown's Market. Never heard of it. Have you ever been there? Brown's Market? What a great place. What great desserts. They have all kinds of stuff down there, right? Uh, incredible. A market. That's what the word redemption means. To be purchased from the marketplace of sin through the price. And the price is the shed blood of Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. You are not your own. You have been bought by a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, uh, which belong to him, which are his. Well, if you've been bought with a price of the blood of Christ, and you are really, as my old professor used to say, really three times his. I don't know if you ever thought about it. I think I've probably said it in the past. But you're really three times his. First one is that he uh, created you. He made you. 
So by creation, you belong to him. He made you. He made you. He's the potter, we're the clay. Right? That should be sufficient enough, right? He made you. You didn't choose to be born at this time, did you? Did you put in a request? Yeah, 21st century U.S. I'd like to be around 10, 10, 10. You know. No, you didn't. You didn't. I'll live in the United States. You didn't have a choice. You, you could be in Islamabad, speaking a far different language, right? And God who has made you and made me and ma- caused us through the succession of generations from Adam and Eve this many years, and here we are. And it's but a vapor, but a moment. He made you. He's the potter. You ever make anything? My father was a great wood, woodworker. Could make all kinds of things, cabinets and kitchens and as a hobby and otherwise. Made things, you know. And we, we understand that. We make something, it's mine. It's ours. That's ours, right? He made you. He's, you're his. But second, he bought you. He saved you. Right? That's the second way. He saved you, so you're his. He bought you, as we just uh, referred to in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. So he created you, he saved you, and finally, he's changing you. That's the word sanctification. Three times yours. He's making you into the image of Christ. He's preparing you. I love the story about, uh, I love this Brad down at uh, 10th Press with uh, Dr. Barnhouse um, was walking down the street one day and somebody was fashioning there in the city some stonework uh, as they were working on, an, on building a building. And they were way up near the top and he's down there and, and a man walked along, uh, or Barnhouse walked along and said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm fashioning this down here so it'll go up there. He pointed Barnhouse in his writing said, that's exactly what God is doing in our life. I got news for you. When you're first saved, you're not ready to go to heaven. You're not, <laughs> there's a lot that needs to be done. Talk about urban renewal of a person. God is in the process. Three steps forward, one back, three forward, two back. He's making you and I, conforming us, Romans 8, 29, into the 8, 28, 9, into the image of Jesus Christ. And if you, you're saved, it's all about him. You're, if you're saved, he made you, he saved you. He's making you into that uh, person of Christ. And you ought to be growing uh, in love with the Lord, growing in conformity to his character, holy as unto the Lord. He's, he should make that. You should have a, a hatred of sin, though you sin. Uh, your resistance and resolve to grow, to please the Lord, ought to be increasing. And those around you, often we get down on ourselves. Oh, you, we keep hitting the same pothole or something. We go like, oh my, God must hate you. No, don't believe that for a moment. And others around often can see, wow, you're not the same. You're changing. You're growing. We see something. Don't know what it is. But it's a beautiful thing. It's a radiance. It's a radiance. I, uh, I showed my assistant therapist this week. She was asking about my, my daughter, Sarah, and she was off the day my granddaughters came in to, to get me after therapy. Faith and Sarah stopped by, and she said, oh, you have to show me pictures. So I showed her pictures of Sarah, and she goes, oh, she's so beautiful. She's so beautiful. And I said, yeah, but you know what? We taught from day one that uh, beauty is from the heart out. And, there's, and, and, and she is beautiful from the heart. And she's the last one to even think, oh, I'm beautiful. She is totally, un- oh, that makes her even more beautiful, she said, the gal, Ashley. I said, yeah, she is. She's like her mama. But uh, it's from the heart out. And that's what God is doing. He's changing us from the inside, changing, developing. And from the heart out, there's a, there's a joy and a glow and a, and, and a deep satisfaction with life, a contentment, even in a fallen world that's brief and filled with trouble and sorrow and surprises and losses. God gives us a song. That's sanctification. So you're three times his. You're his. That should be enough, right? Three times. Well, Paul said it so well, didn't he? I have it on your sheet, Philippians 121. I'm thinking this is a great verse for a tombstone. For me to live is Christ. It's a predicate 
adjective, some say a predicate nominative, life equals Christ. If we are his, and it's all about him, he made us, saved us, and is changing us, then our lives don't belong to ourselves. They belong to him. We are his. We are the sheep of his pasture, Psalm 100. And so we should live that way. For me, to live is Christ. And because that's true, and to die then is gain. Isn't that a great verse? This means for us that our lives, our possessions, everything you have and I have, our time, all of it is his. All of it. Everything. Everything you have. It's not yours. Do you know that most undertakers, when they bury at least a man, they don't even put shoes on them? You don't need shoes, and nobody sees it usually. You don't need them. Think of all the stuff we have. We carry around like gigantic U-Hauls, all this stuff. And God blesses us, and in the right place, there's nothing wrong with it. It can easily become an, an idol. And if you get a lot of stuff, then it's like you're up all night worrying about what's going to happen to all my stuff. Remember our study in Ecclesiastes, right? Uh, you, we don't take any of it with us, none of it. Not even shoes if you're a guy in the casket, you know. We leave it, don't need it. Leave those size 10 for someone else, I guess, right? We leave it all behind. All the stuff you have, your life, your time, your time is his. Time is the a, is a most precious thing. Billy Graham said that recently. He said, now that I'm an old man, I realize that all the things God gives, I recognize that time, time is the most precious. And for me, he said, it's almost gone. It's almost gone. Reality is, not all of us will live to be 80 or 100. And we won't. Stuff happens. We know that. It's called life in a fallen world. And that's, that's what it's about. Well, everything we are and have is really his and should be used for his glory. It's all about him. But I ask the question, who is this one that owns us? Who is he? And so that we would, like those that approached the disciples one day, they said, sir, we would see Jesus. I thought, let's take a few weeks and just remind ourselves through the glory of Scripture, the wonder of our Savior. Since it's all about him, it's not about me. It's about him. And I thought we'd look at that old prologue, that old beginning to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, uh, where we see the author of Hebrews wonderfully lifts up the portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that. If you haven't found Hebrews chapter 1, let's just glance at it. He's going to present in this, these opening verses, and we'll look at them this week and the weeks to come, a sevenfold description of Jesus, the one to whom it's all about. He is, glory, he is the glorious one. He's the superior one. He is, the, the Germans say, the herpunt, the high point of everything. When we see him, everything else is diminished to nothing, as it really is in every way. In Hebrews chapter 1, uh, the author writes in verse 1, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, God the Father has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name, that is the name Son, Son of God, is inherited as superior to those. Well, this uh, Hebrews is a book that uh, is a glorious book. Uh, I mean, it presents, the theme of it is the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, it's a book that's closed to many of our churches. We don't often hear about it. If you don't have a good handle on the Old Testament, it's hard to understand uh, this uh, book uh, and the analogies all the way through. Let me give you a tip. It's really, uh, I believe, a series of sermons that the author, who's Jewish, speaking to Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians, 
and uh, that they were very familiar with the Old Testament, of the types and all the things presented there, and how it all pointed to the ultimate of ultimates, Jesus Christ. And he does that as he walks his way through the series of sermons, or maybe it's one sermon. And there are several warning sections in it. I say it's a sermon because he turns and then he warns those who are his hearers and or readers. And he warns them to be the men and women that they ought to be. And to not turn back and to love him and to serve him. For he is the superior one, the great one, the one to whom it's all about. So today we're just simply going to look at three of the sevenfold description of Jesus to see who everything is about. The first one, the first uh, description is given in verse 2. We find that Jesus is the real owner of everything in the entire universe. When Nassau went up there in 1969 to the lunar surface, and wasn't that exciting in July? Some of you weren't born, but some of us watched it. And we stood amazed, not only that they were there, but we were in our living room watching it on our TV set. I'll never forget that Sunday when Neil Armstrong walked down the ladder and bounced on the moon. Unbelievable. You know what? They were walking on a territory that belonged to the Lord Jesus Christ. I know they stuck a flag in the ground. And some nuts think they were out west somewhere when they did it. They really stuck a flag It didn't belong to the United States, it belongs to the Lord Jesus. Look what the text says in verse 2. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son or son. And first thing is, whom he appointed heir of all things. Well, what does this mean? He, God the Father, appointed heir of all things. This is Jesus' inheritance from the Father. The author A of Hebrews is telling us why God's revelation of Son, Jesus, is far superior than all the other revelation given prior. That's verse 1. He's referring to the Old Testament. Let me just set the context before we look at this first description. He said, uh, in the past God spoke, and God is there, and if we're going to know God, God must reveal himself, and he has done that. Don't you love the way they describe it? God has revealed himself chiefly in three ways. There's the big book, and that's creation, and we're going to look at that briefly here. Then there's the little book. God has more clearly revealed himself in the written word. God said, God said, God said. And if you're reading and you're up to date, you see that over and over in the prophets, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. God said, God spoke at Sinai. The people were terrified. They didn't want to hear it. Send Moses up, just one. God stuck his finger in the wall. Many, many techie of Farson there in Babylon. God revealed himself. God has spoken. God has revealed himself in visions and dreams and in various and sundry ways. He revealed himself in the big book, the little book, and then clearly in the most clear with 2020 vision in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. God has revealed himself. And it is the superior revelation of God in the person of Jesus, as we shall see as we look more completely at the text. And so here he's talking about looking back at the Old Testament, and he's stamping it with the imprimata of the authority of the inspiration of Scripture. This is written by God, written by God. All Scripture is the inspired breath of God. But now, in many ways, we find the revelation of God in the person of Jesus to be the superior revelation of God. We'll see what that means. Look at B. But when when Jesus came, it was God in flesh, the mystery of the incarnation, that God should add to himself the second person of the Godhead, a human body and a human nature, uh, never commingling, Always eternally, the God-man, mystery, wonder, and awe, and only one, and only this one, the beloved of the Father, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the seed of the woman, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Son of David, Jesus Christ, the glorious one, the great shepherd. 
And so, if you desire to know God, what God is like, then simply look at Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Look at Jesus. Look and live. Look at him. We live in a world where men and women hate the God that is and construct for themselves false ideas of deities and prophets and enslave people with that. There's hunger in India, uh, but there are livestock that run the street and enslave the people. There are quarter pounders on the hoof there. In their goofiness, there somehow could be Antilly reincarnated. Craziness, enslavement, satanic. There's only one. You go to many schools and universities and you take a class and call comparative religions. It's uh, not bad to learn the others so that you can unfold them and show how heretical and erroneous they are. But if you all walk away saying, well, they're all the same. No, they're not. There's only one. And that's why, you see, in a world that hates truth and hates definite truth, right? all things are kind of mushing ahead but I said, how many times don't make change for me at the bank if all things are relative? I want the right change. Two and two is four. Will always be four. And change from a $100 bill, I want it exact. Well, then, you know, that's right for you, but it's right for me to cheat you. No way. There's only one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Almighty. Fed people, thousands of people with food, that never grew. Is it any wonder then, when we look at Genesis, God spoke, and it came into being. That's the God of the Scriptures. He's great and awesome. How about uh, every funeral Jesus ever bumped into in the Scripture? He broke it up and raised them to life. I'm the resurrection and the life. He's a God of judgment. Look at his words to the Judaizers who blinded the people and were leading them to hell. You're of your father, the devil. He didn't say, hey, we're all the same. Right? Isn't it great? Let's hug. Let's hug. Let's have a huddle here. No way. Mm -mm. What did he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. It was the angels that broke out uh, on that night there in Bethlehem in song and praise to God, the beloved one, the promised one, the seed of the woman, the one whom the whole scriptures unfolded, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the God who will judge. He's the God of righteousness. He's holy. Never did he sin. Almighty, all-knowing, ever-present. But, you want to know what God is like? He is the greatest lover. Isn't that great? We don't have to cower in fear. How do we know that? Jesus, the greatest uh, one who ever loved, ever who walked on the face of the earth. He loves us. Don't you love the children's song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Listen, that's a reflection of God. You want to know what God is like? He is the great lover. God so loved, agapazo, God so loved, agape, that he gave his only begotten son. He's the great lover. Say, I'm not much. Join the crowd. None of us are. Well, I'm a sinner, and I've sinned horribly. Join the crowd. <laughs> you couldn't be more loved. You're not loved because you did something good. God said his love and grace upon you if you're saved. You want to know what God is like? That's what he's like. Look at Jesus. Wow. He loved us so much, he spread out his arms and allowed himself to be nailed to that cross. The creation killed the creator. Amazing. Oh, the depths of the love. No wonder Paul prays that we might come to understand the incredible depth and width and height of the love of God. It makes ours look, our love on our best occasions look absolutely like cheapskates. It is the love of God. And it's the love of God in you and me that causes us to love the Lord and to love one another. Wow. Well, see, Jesus received, here's the point of the first, first description. Jesus received from the Father the title deed to everything. The title deed of the universe. The inheritance. And that means everything. It includes all people. God owns all people, you know. 
You know, all people. All of them. The unborn in the womb, those in the Far East, and South America, and faraway places, the disenfranchised. All people are his. All stuff. All stuff. You don't own it. So they gave me a title to my car. I remember that day. Couldn't wait when I was 16 to finally get a car. Oh, my. That was neat. I finally arrived. That was something. Got my title. Got my name on it. I had to pay uh, the New York State title fee and then the enormous liability insurance <laughs> there in New York. And they said my brother and I jointly owned it. He blew the engine up in time, forgot to put an oil in it, and that did not end pretty. But uh, the reality is, is we got a piece of paper, but God owns it. It's his. It's his, all of it. You say, well, I live in a house that I bought, and they gave me a deed, and there's my name on it. I own it. You don't own it. I think the birds and the crows, we have enormous crows that sit on our roof line every day. They squawk and make noise. I think they own it. They own it. I mean, when I, they carry me out or we're gone, or whatever, they'll still be sitting there. What was his name anyway, right? He's the buzzard. We're not. We don't own it. We have the right to pay taxes, right? Hey, you own it, pay the taxes, school tax, whatever. We don't own it. He owns it all. It's all his stuff. The planets, outer space, everything. Kind of sounds like Psalm 2. Some of you know that psalm where uh, God the Father anoints the Son there and uh, all his enemies and everything there will be at his footstool and defeated as he conquers for he is giving all things to his Son, the Lord Jesus, the crowning of Jesus as King. Or even of Daniel 7 when Daniel, hundreds of years before Christ, has that wonderful picture of of that crowning day when the crowning of the Lord Jesus Christ and and his rule and reign that shall continue forever and ever and ever. In Daniel 7, look at that, verse 13 and 14. Daniel writes, And in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one, the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days, that's the Father, and was led into his presence. And he, that's Jesus, this one, the Son, was given authority. He was given it all. Glory and sovereign power, all people, nations and men, and dominion over all forever and ever. He is the owner of everything. 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 Everything you have, everything I have, our next breath, our heartbeat, our time, our talents, all of it. And so that means that you and I must realize our lives are not about us. It's not about our stuff. It's all his anyway. And you'll leave it all behind. And so it should impact the way you live now. How will you use everything that's his? It's his. It's on loan to us. Our bank accounts, our time, our talents, our stuff. It's his. We're to be stewards and managers. But don't clutch onto it like this. It's mine, like the little kid in the nursery, right, Maggie? My toy. You can't have it. Don't do that. Hold it loosely. It's his. Sometimes he wants to take it. Sometimes he wants you to give it. Sometimes he wants you to just be a blessing to those around you. Use it for his glory. He, he enjoys it when we love him and why we find pleasure in the things that he gives. We enjoy it. That was not calling us to take a vow of poverty, certainly not. But don't clutch it as if it's all. Don't be careful of it. And if you find yourself idolizing, give it away. It's not worth it. It's a chain that'll sink you. Use your time, your talents. It's all his. It's his. It's his. It's his. Well, the second description. It's not about us. It's all about him. The second description, he's the creator of the universe. Hebrews tells us in verse 2, through whom he made the universe, the cosmos. And so the Bible tells us that God the Father made the universe through his Son, through Christ. Isn't that what Colossians 1.16 says? I have it on a sheet. All things were made by him, that's Jesus, and for him. 
So it was Jesus who spoke the word in Genesis 1. And when you compare Scripture with Scripture, it's Jesus who said, let there be light. It was Jesus who said the word, let there be. And it happened. He's the creator. It was created by him and for him. He's the great one, the glorious one. And this certainly tells us, doesn't it, of the divinity of Jesus. Divinity, dios, means God, that he is God. And the Jews understood that in John 10.30. When uh, they picked up stones after a few of his words, they were going to stone him. We stoned you not for the good works that you did, but because you claim to be God. They, they understood that. And he is. And he did claim that. And he was. And he still is. He created all things. God alone can create. God created the universe. The universe was not self-made. We live in a self-deluded day. Don't believe it for a moment. I have to say it over and over because it comes at us with overwhelming force like a sledgehammer in our day that everything is either eternal or it's self-made. i got news for you. Nothing was ever self-made. Ladies, did you ever self-make, see a cake self-made in the oven? Never happened. Never happened. You go to Detroit, you think they self, cars are self-made? Yeah, it just came together. It was amazing. How about the watch on your hand? Just, oh, just given enough time, enough probability, and the gold came together in the face and all that in this accurate time, and isn't that wonderful? You know, you, you just like, you put people away that taught that stuff, except you, we understand where it comes from. That people say, no, God, no. And so they have to live with themselves, so they construct these worlds that never existed except between their ears. And we see it everywhere. We see it in the arts and the culture, the cinema, the newspaper, the media. And in school, it's just kind of jammed down your throat. There is no God. And if there is a God, he's far away, could care less, and he's puny. But really, there's not. He's not important. We don't teach about him and stuff. Just sort of the Big Bang. Well, where did the bang come from? Oh, it just kind of happened. And we once were mosquitoes and termites and lizards and snails. And here we are in two sexes. Isn't it amazing? The closer you look at what God has made, the more amazed you are. I mean, God made all that is, and we are made in his likeness, and we take what he made, and we form it and fashion, we build our houses and cars, metallurgy and agrarian and culture and all that, and we form and shape the earth and the minerals and all. It's amazing that God liked us, but we never made anything that never was. God makes it ex nihilo from nothing. He speaks the word. It came into being. He spoke the word one day in a boat, and the storm stopped instantly. He's the creator. When he speaks to the universe, it stops. He orders fish to come and fill in that. How did he do that? He's creator. Veiled in human flesh. Did not bear his glory. That was his kenosis. That was his emptying. He gave up the glory that was his. We see it popping through at the transfiguration where he's shown in Matthew 17 like the sun. They're like, whoa, the glory of God, the glory of our Savior. It's all about him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about him. He's creator. Not only does he own everything, he does. But he made everything, and he did. Let me give you just a few more facts about this. This, the idea here is Jesus created time, space, energy, and all matter, everything. John wrote 1, 3, through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that was made. No wonder the heavens shout glory to God. Glory, it's his. The creation is marvelous. Sir John Eccles, noble, a Nobel laureate in neurophysiology, said in Chicago a number of decades ago that the odds against the right combination of circumstances occurring to involve intelligent life on earth are about 400,000 trillion, 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 trillion to one. And then after admitting such improbability, he went on to say that he believed that such did occur, but could never happen again here or in any other planet anywhere else. It was so remote. His strange logic, this author writes, illustrates the dilemma of the humanistic science. It does not recognize a creator and when you don't do that, you have quite a big problem explaining how this marvelous, intricate, immeasurable universe came into being. 
thousands upon thousands, probably millions of men somehow believe that man emerged out of the slime. A wondrous creature of man just evolved. The wondrous creature whose heart, get this, beats 800 million times in a normal lifetime. That's a lot of beats. You say, I don't have rhythm. I, you, yes, you do. And pumps enough blood to fill a string of tank cars running from Boston to New York. That same man with a tiny uh, cubic half-inch section of brain cells contains all the memories of a lifetime. I got news for you. That's better than your, your laptop that freezes up. Although we freeze up sometimes, don't we? Can't remember that. And the same man whose ear transfers sounds waves from air to liquid without losing any sound. No cosmic accident there. A.K. Morrison, another brilliant scientist, tells that the conditions for life on earth demand so many billions of minute interrelated circumstances appearing simultaneously in the same infinitesimal moment that such a prospect becomes beyond belief and beyond possibility. Consider the vastness of the universe. Here it is. If you could somehow put... 1.2 million Earths into the sun, you'd have room left for 4.3 million moons. The sun is 865,000 uh, miles in diameter, 865,000 miles in diameter, and is 93 million miles from the Earth. Our near, next nearest sun is Alpha Centauri, five times larger than our sun. And the moon is only 21,000 miles away. You could walk to it. You could walk to it, there's a walk, 27 years. Don't try it. A, a ray of light travels 186,000 miles per second, so a beam of light would reach the, the moon in a second and a half. And if we could travel at the speed, uh, at that speed, it would take us two minutes, 18 seconds to reach Venus, four and a half minutes to reach Mercury, an hour and 11 seconds to reach Saturn, and so on, to reach Pluto, although it's not a planet anymore, sorry. 2.7 billion miles from the Earth that take four hours if we travel at the speed of light. Having gotten that far, we would still be well within our own solar system. The North Star is 100, I'm sorry, 400 billion miles away. 400 B billion miles away. But it is still nearby. It's like next door neighbors in this universe of ours. It's enormous. Where did it all come from? Who conceived it? Who made it? Jesus Christ, creator of all. And the author tells us it's all about him. It's not about us. He's not only the owner of all, the title deed. He has received his inheritance, but he's creator of all things. That means he created you. And for his purpose. And finally today, let's look at three. Jesus is the radiant one. He is the expression of the glory of God. The text says, the Son of Man is the radiance of God's glory. The radiance. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The Psalms tell us that God clothes himself in radiant light, a Shekinah glory, a brilliancy. Some of the old writers say that Adam and Eve, they really believe, uh, originally uh, were created prior to the fall with a, uh, with a radiance and a glow. And it's part of the reason after their sin that they covered themselves because the radiance of the glow of the creaturely holiness uh, was lost. A.W. Pink uh, teaches that. Well, radiance, of course, A means to shine forth. Just as the rays of light uh, from the sun are related to the sun, Think about that. Neither exists without the other. So Jesus is the radiance of God the Father. Distinct, yet united. So you have the sun. If the sun was out there but didn't emanate rays, you wouldn't even know it was there. The rays are not the sun. It's connected. The sun produces the rays. The rays reflect the sun. Both are there. Different entities. One comes from the other. Distinct. And it's sort of a way that we can think about the triunity, the trinity of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All God, one being, distinct, three persons, yet united, eternally and forever. That's a good way to think about it. Well, the Bible tells us that no one can see God the Father. However, Jesus is the manifestation of God the Father. Colossians 2.9, For in Christ all the fullness 
of the deity lives in bodily form. And so, as I said a moment ago, to watch, to hear, to listen to Jesus is to know what the Father is like. To say a few things, that he is almighty. Jesus was demonstrated uh, omnipotent power. He's all-knowing. He's sovereign. He's holy. He's loving. He's kind. He's the gift giver. He's merciful. And that's just the beginning of what God is like, as we see in Jesus. He is the radiant one. He is not the Father. Don't confuse the persons. They're both God, and yet uh, there's distinction, and he reveals God the Father. We're talking about that which is shrouded in mystery. Can't understand it more than that. We have to take what God says in his word about that and believe it and receive it, and yet we see it's true. He is the radiant, the expression of the glory of God. Another way of thinking of it, look at C, just as our words from our lips express what we're thinking. You know, man is like that. We live in our realm of our thoughts, and then we express our thoughts. Uh, it's connected. They're not our thoughts, but they're connected. They're distinct from it, but they express it. Uh, and so Jesus is the one who clearly portrays the Father. So much so that Jesus once said, remember that in the upper, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. And Matthew 17, as I said in the transfiguration, tells of Jesus' transfiguration there on the mount with, with Peter, James, and John. And there he's shown like the noonday sun and revealed the physical glory of the Father. Jesus is the expression of God. And that's how we know who God is and what God is like in his radiance, expression. Listen, we do that, don't we? We try and express things. We express our love and care to those that we love and care. Don't we do that? I remember when I was uh, uh, in college many, many moons ago, (laughs) I uh, met a woman named Faith, and uh, in short order, I became utterly smitten. Don't you love that word? That's a great word, smitten. What's that mean? I couldn't eat. I couldn't think. I wasn't right. All I did was want to be with her, right? And per, bit by bit, I knew that I wanted to live. And uh, if God would be pleased uh, to raise a family and to serve the Lord with her. And so I, uh, you know, a guy about that age and about that time and utterly, uh, utterly devastated being smitten, I knew I had to get a ring. And so uh, I, uh, I got a ring and paid on it for many, <laughs> many, many months uh, to try and, and uh, get that thing paid for. And uh, the day came, it was, uh, was Christmas time, 1974, and she was not expecting it at all. That was half the fun of it. And uh, I asked her there at, uh, in a restaurant parking lot uh, in, uh, in New Jersey before we were going to go in to uh, get a wonderful dinner. I asked her if she would uh, marry me. And she wanted me to repeat the question. <laughs> she was totally not expecting it. And uh, it's fun as I think back at it. And, uh, and she said she would and started crying and gave me a kiss. And I gave her the diamond ring, which was a small expression. That's the key. You know, where's it going with this? An expression of my love for my girlfriend, soon to be fiance, soon to be wife. Now, this year was an expression of it. It was a small expression because it was lifeless. But we do that, right? We give flowers and notes and cards and we give gifts and care. What? Expressing what's on our hearts. Well, in a, in a, in a way, that's what God did with us in sending his own son to be the exact radiance of his glory. He gave an expression of who he is, knowing that he made us physical and earthly, soul and spirit, but we relate to the... And, and there's the Lord Jesus. Oh, I see more clearly. You see, it's not about you. It isn't. This Christian life is not about you. 
Everything you have, your next heartbeat, your breath, your children, your life, everything, your jobs, everything. It's all about him. He's the glorious one. He is. He is. We'll look at uh, lessons for our life, number one. Number one, if you are a Christian, you are to live not for yourself. You're to live for him. For me to live is Christ. It should be. It's the way that uh, you speak to each other. Some of us need to ask forgiveness. We've, we've hurt people. Why is it we hurt the ones we love the most? That sounds like a country song, but it's true. Sometimes we're more polite to strangers, aren't we? Oh, thank you very much. In a sense, blah, 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 you know, the ones we love. Lord, make me like Jesus. It's all about you. People we work with, we spend a lot of time with them. We ought to be Christ to them. The way we speak to them, that we speak with dignity and honor. They bear their image bearers. Maybe they're lost. They need to know Jesus. Maybe you're the connection. And kindness and giving. The longer I live, the more I realize giving is the essence of life. It's about him. I want to give and give and give. Stuff means less and less to me. You know? So a slow train coming with this guy, I guess. You know? It's all about him. It's about you. Number two, recognize his ownership of everything. Everything you have. You know what Faith and I have done for I can't remember when we didn't do it. Whenever we acquired a larger piece of something, a house, we always knelt and thanked the Lord and said, Lord, this is yours. Use it for your glory in the neighborhood to raise our family. It's yours. It's just stuff. Protect it. Watch over us. Protect us when we're in it. Help us not to love it. We want to love the gift giver, not the gift. Whenever we get a card, it sounds funny. We don't anoint it. I don't smash it with a bottle of champagne or something, you know. <laughs> I anoint thee or christen thee. But you know what we do? We, we put our hand on it and we pray and we say, Lord, this is your car. Thank you for it. Beats walking at points. <laughs> Protect us in it as we drive the many miles. We don't take that for granted. It's yours. Help us not to love it. Forgive me, Lord. I do like cars. You know, but it's yours. It's yours. We do that. We've done that. You might want to do it. You know why? More than anything, it helps us remember this stuff's passing through. And God gave it, provided it, providing the funds for it. You know, we ought to remember that. Our parents, we ought to thank God for our parents and grandparents. They're his. I still thank the Lord for many of the pastors and professors that God has given. They're gifts. He gave. Many of them are in heaven now. I name them by name. My, our youth worker, Rob, Wayne Gibbs, is in heaven for many years now. Bob Kennedy. And these names, you know, Sunday school teachers and those that helped. And, you know, I praise God for that. They're gifts. People are gifts that God gives. Stuff is gifts. Time is gift. He's the owner of it all. We, we need to live right and think right. Especially in a recession. Can I say that? Our, our time. Oh, it's tough out there. Boy, I better hang on extra tight. Oh, Lord, deliver me from that. Let me release it and find out really how great you are. That's a great test. Number three, worship Jesus as your creator. He made you for him. Worship him. It should be the highlight of your day. It is of mine. I love worship. This is a highlight of my week. But the highlight of my day is when I kneel by my chair in my study and spend time worshiping and adoring God. Pour out my soul. Shut the door, you know, and cry out to God and worship. Pray for many of you, many, many of you. Pray and adore him and ask his help in the study of the word and his blessing and favor on my loved one, you know, on our... Worship him. He's your creator. He made you. Aren't we fearfully and wonderfully made? Wow. I put the musing out this week, but I don't think it went out. But it's amazing. You think about healing. I thank the Lord for bringing my hip along. And, uh, you know, our stuff we have that gets banged up doesn't heal. Have you noticed that? I've said that before you know that. 
run your car into a tree and put it in the garage. I guarantee it won't get a new fender on there. <laughs> hey, look at this, honey. It's coming along. Doesn't even need therapy. Doesn't we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Praise God for that. He's our creator. He made us that way. Aren't you glad for that? Even though the stuff tends to break down, right? Wow. Praise God. Number four. Number four. Thank him for revealing the Father to us. Wow. Imagine standing in his presence. Hmm. Someday we will. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's coming. He's coming. Oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come. And number five and last. If, if perchance you're here and you've never trusted Christ the Lord as Savior, oh, come to the light. You can be saved today. You can be owned by the Lord. He owns you anyway. But you have your sin problem dealt with forever and ever and ever. Saved once. Heaven can be your home. Oh, if I can do anything to help you, that's why I'm here. Praise God. He's so good. It's not about you. Now let's go and practice it, right? Not about me. It's about him. All about him. Praise the Lord. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful text that teaches us about your wonderful Son, even the Lord Jesus. May we so live that we would echo with Paul, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Dis dismiss us with your blessing, and we'll thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen. We are dismissed. God bless you.